Welcome to Credit Shift News and Update. This week, we have our co-host, Webio CEO Cormac O'Neill, back with us to explore recent news stories, events, reports, and trends in the credit industry. Let's dive into the details. Starting with general industry news. Two pieces of information on new fees from Visa and MasterCard. The first piece of news is that it has been widely reported that Visa and MasterCard may increase their credit card fees. While people can argue over whether these fees are likely to hit, whether it is the interchange rate or the network fees, I can't help but feel that maybe the credit card companies are creating a your margin is my opportunity example here. In 2022, US merchants paid approximately $94 billion in credit card fees to MasterCard and Visa. In 2012, this was $33 billion. MasterCard came out afterwards to pour cold water on this news, denying that it was going to increase either of these fees. In the same week, Visa announced that it would send USDC, the second largest stablecoin by market capitalization, to select merchants via the Solona blockchain in a newly announced pilot. Visa will begin to send USDC out of its treasury to two large payment firms, WordPay and Nuvi, which in turn can directly facilitate payments for merchants. The companies decided to send and receive USDC on Solona because of the blockchain's capacity to process transactions more quickly than on Ethereum, and no doubt it was cheaper. This is a great use of relatively new technology and shows that there is still a lot of room for innovation in the infrastructure or the back end. But it did get me thinking, For years, telcos tried to get themselves into the payments business. After all, they had a network going into every home and business, but they failed. Now, digital giants such as Apple, Google, and Samsung have their wallets on all our mobile phones. Banking services are now on mobile phones, and you don't have to have a physical card present. So perhaps new blockchain infrastructure such as Solona will bypass point-of-sale terminals, use some on-chip AI to prevent fraud, and enable the disruption of what soon will be a $100 billion credit fees opportunity. Chips, devices, network-based competition. It's just such a big target, I can't help think that we're going to see some disruption coming out of here. I've asked around, people are finding it hard to see how it might happen. Cormac, anything coming to mind on, on these credit card fees? Okay, well, I'll tell you, well, let's, let's break this one down because for me, both of these pieces of news are connected, right? If we start with the um, alleged increase of fees from Visa and MasterCard that are supposedly coming down the line, we know what's going to happen here, right? These are going to get passed on to the end consumer. Uh, that's what's going to happen because um, if you look at our industry and the the enterprises in our industry, they operate off very tight margins. And if there are extra costs that are going to be passed on to them, whether it's it's merchant fees or, or, or Visa MasterCard fees, they're going to have to pass them on. They're not going to let them eat into their margin, right? So that's that's number one is what I see there. Ultimately, all these increases end up on the door of the, the everyday consumer. Unfortunately, that's that's what happens here. The second part um, in relation to blockchain, which you were right, I think is very interesting. The, what interests me here is, look, our industry and, and our, our customers 
um, aren't really grappling with blockchain. It's not really on the radar today. Uh, you know, as we've spoken on a previous cast that we done here, a conversation we had, you know, digitalization and AI are the topics that they're kind of looking at. Now, what could bring blockchain onto the radar and get some attention is if it has the potential to reduce fees, if it has the potential to reduce the cost of collections um, and thus protect and even increase the margin. That's what I think you'll see. Uh, people in the credit collections industry or customers uh, standing up and taking notice. But that's going to take the likes of ourselves and other players, service providers and product providers to the industry to bring those solutions to um, the enterprise. So I think that's where we got to watch this one. Um, but as I say, I don't think there's anything that I can see in the near term uh, going to happen here. But certainly one that we uh, are keeping an eye on. Um, to see how it can potentially play into our future product strategy and, and the benefits we can bring to our customers. Yeah, I think as well that um, we see when we're talking to customers that the option of providing many different types of payment is generally seen as increasing your chances of getting paid because you're providing different options to the customer. Um, and I think that the simple things like the the process by which you present the first, second and third options to people for payment of a direct, like a debit card payment, then a credit card, or maybe open banking, then a debit card, then a credit card, can over time help reduce the cost of those transactions for people. Um, but I think in general, like you were saying, the, the, the issues facing customers today are largely how would I even get the data together to run these kind of uh, processes? How would I get the data together to run experiments to figure out if this works or not for them? Yeah. Just what I'd say there, Paul, to add into that is I totally agree. And we're seeing that with our customers. If you can bring more channels or, or ways of payment, they're certainly open to it. But it must be done at at least the same cost as existing channels or ideally lower. If you're bringing a channel to them or a method of payment that's adding costs, they're very slow to promote it. I mean, you know, why would it unless it has a major impact on um, conversion rates or collection rates? Other than that, they're not going to they're not going to entertain it because go back to the margins they operate off. Um, they're they're quite they're quite thin, you know. Sure. I, I, again, my parting comment on this is I would have put the blockchain as a trend very much in the background in in 2023 as something that is kind of in the trough of despair. Um, but I think this might be bringing it back to something that strategy people might want to keep their eye on. Maybe it's not the first or second thing, right. but maybe it, it comes back on the radar from here. All right, let's move on to the second topic here. Um, this uh, embedded finance, again, there are many different strategic trends impacting on the credit uh, industry, as we were saying, AI, regulatory landscape. But I'm again drawn to the area of embedded finance. This week, it's Amazon's turn in the spotlight as they made some moves with Amazon Pay. Merchants on the Shopify network work, uh, can now enable their customers to pay with Prime. This not only gets their product delivered, but also enables people to pay with Amazon from within that process. So Shopify basically took off when people started to use Shopify Pay. So why would they let Amazon into their network? Well, they have to. 
their customer needs access to Amazon to maximize their sales. So will Amazon do the same and enable Shopify pay from within the Amazon marketplace? I doubt it. Um, but Buy With Prime helps increase shopper conversions reportedly by an average of around 25% with fast, easy delivery, easy returns, simplified checkout experience. Amazon Pay with Buy Now Pay Later options integrated into it is, you know, that's, that's a clear signal of things to come in my view. Last week, we looked at Klarna's results. Klarna has Buy Now Pay Later and Buy Now Pay Now. It has many banking services and many geos. So which button does the customer press to pay with going forward? It will be interesting to see how the new rules for competing in embedded services uh, will turn out to be. Um, and the other thought that occurred to me is, is it crazy to think that I would go to a utilities website and pay with Prime? Or might, might I come with, like when I go to a utility, it offers me the service of buy now, pay later through that Prime um, option. Pay with Apple, why would I not? So currently, these consumer-first services just aren't competitive on the enterprise um, scale. As you were saying there, Cormac, the cost per transaction is just too high. But surely there's more room for innovation here. Um, I think it's... I was just listening to a podcast during the week from the Payments Association with uh, Jason Maud, Chief Technology Advocate from Starling Bank, and Dr. Ruth Wandhofer from the Payments Association, and they spoke to this issue explicitly, saying that, you know, the, the card is not there physically, it's an abstraction, you've got your mobile device, but customers don't really care about open banking, you know, they care about what open banking enables them to do, which might be like save money on the transaction, um, or, or be processed faster if they use open banking technologies. and. Another point in that interview was that AI might disrupt um, basic card payments infrastructure by identifying behaviors, mistakes, bad actors, just using, again, cheaper, um, more effective AI technology. Um, I, I think the thing for me, just with all these things coming up at the one time, is I'm, I'm just looking at that, what's it important for? For the payment people to do, like where, how do these, is it Klarna on the front end? Is it Amazon on the front end? Is it your own payments solution as a large scale retailer or large utility? What do you need to control? What services are you going to be providing? Who's going to be providing them in the future? I think this is where the mesh of embedded finance services all really start to come to the fore. And there is a new report coming out soon from Finch Capital, uh, who are uh, obviously backers of Webio as well, um, who will bring more insight into this a specialist report on embedded finance. Cormac, do, do you have any thoughts on like what's important in this area for 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 people? Listening to you, Paul, as you're um, going through that, what kept coming to mind is the one word kept repeating in my head is friction, 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 right? So what's important to, to 
uh, our customers when they're thinking about the payment journey and the conversational journey, and we know this, right, from talking to them, is how do you remove the friction points that prevents customers from making payments, right? Um, it's no surprise that you're seeing such an increase uh, in conversion rates when a consumer stays within a flow and doesn't have to jump out of a flow to make a payment. I think that's that's a that's the real key here because as consumers, we're actually do you know what we're getting we're getting lazy, right? We're, we're getting lazy. We like things to just flow. So if we can have a an easy shopping experience or a payment of or any experience that ends in a payment, that just all goes in one flow, right? And I think you're seeing that with uh, Amazon and the ability to just pay with Amazon Prime. Um, you know, even something as simple as, you know, paying your parking with your wallet, uh, you know, you don't, you just go into your parking app. I know this because I'm getting the train a lot now, right? So um, I just get on my, my parking app, my wallet's topped up, I just go pay. That's it. It's done, right? I don't, it confirms I'm now parked. I don't have to worry about being clamped. Uh, and I think the more you remove those friction points out of a journey, the better it's going to be. So if we relate that to, to our own industry and particularly uh, conversational AI and conversational engagement with your customers around credit and connections, if you can enable the point of payment directly within that conversational stream, so the customer doesn't have to drop off of a flow and go somewhere else to make a payment, a, for the customer, it's a much better experience, right? They're at the point of where they're willing to give you money or make a payment. They're in agreement with it. They're 99.9% going to execute right there and then. If they have to drop off and let's say go from a mobile device to a, a desktop device or, or even a physical in-store device to make a payment, the chances of that payment happening are going to drop dramatically. So for me, when I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, how do we or how does this remove as many friction points from that journey as it possibly does? And I think that's what bedded finance is really going to excel at. Um, the final thing, if I may, uh, you mentioned open banking and, uh, you know, customers adopt an open banking. I think the job to be done here, we have to educate the end user in the benefits of using open banking. Right? When I'm listening to people talking about open banking, it's all about how it benefits the industry, you know, and how it streamlines things for the industry. Um, but if you don't get buy-in from your customers to use open banking, forget about it. So you must start talking to customers about what is the benefit to me from using open banking, whether that is reduced fees or whether that is removal of friction points, as we just mentioned, that's when you start to see consumers starting to really go, okay, I think this open banking thing, there's something in it for me. So therefore, I'm not going to be as skeptical uh, about it and I'm going to engage with it. So, um, and finally, I would I would recommend you check out our friends in Finch Capital. Um, definitely the go-to guys in the in the fintech industry, not just because they invested in in, in Webio, but they, they tend to produce some really, really great stuff. So I would keep an eye out for that. All right, let's move on to the third uh, section of our update today. And today, for a change, we have a new report, the state of customer contact from the Customer Contact Centre Management Association, known as the CCMA. And they released their Voice of the Contact Centre 2023 report. It makes for interesting reading. 
they lead with the point that for many years, UK customers have been more or less one third think the customer service is getting better, one third think it's getting worse, and one third think not much has changed. This year, only 18% of respondents believe that it's getting better. Now, the report says that capabilities are mostly back to where they were before the pandemic and that some labour shortages are playing a role here, as is the flow of physical product through supply chains. But the point that really jumped out the page um, when, I, when I was reading it was this quote from the Director of Customer Service at Bupa. You see a lot more instant gratification in the customer service market. The more innovation by players and more innovation by players that are brilliant at customer service. I.e., I get a sense that there's been a shift in customer expectations. Um, Some of this is also the impact of the cost of living. So 53% of those surveyed said it's more difficult to manage their finances than a year ago. We've been following that trend. This pressure means people pay more attention to their costs, query their costs, seek to renegotiate their contracts for products and services. So just because things are tight, people are paying more attention, and that in itself will drive up interaction. So as customers were able to do more and more with self-service, chatbots and voice bots, this has driven the more challenging, potentially um, more anxious and anger-laden conversations to the contact center staff themselves. So. This requires companies to increase the training of their existing contact center staff. So overall, customers report being happier with contact center performance than with overall customer service performance. Now, we were saying this at the end of our podcast last week, Cormac, that when they're automating conversations with, with in, the, in the context of last week, it was um, conversation AI. Those conversations are being automated. Yeah. And the conversations that end up going to the um, agents are by their very nature more complex, um, Uh more emotionally laden and need higher skills and training to manage. And I think that is the trend that we're going to see continue. Um, The final kind of points from the report is that there has been a decrease in the acceptance of self-service for some categories like delivery-related queries, which fell from 52% in 2022 to 44% in 2023, which is quite a big drop. Um, And there's a drop in uh, advice-seeking. So they'd rather talk to an agent to get advice about a product and then go buy it then kind of use AI to figure out um, advice around a product and then go buy it. And I think that there's really good explanations for that. And it's probably because that's a difficult conversation. Giving good advice, understanding the context and understanding what you can say to a customer is actually really difficult. Um, Another strange one was that 63% of customers are happy to open a new account or place an order, which is up 4% on last year. And while people may be happy to place that order, again, they are less happy to go and figure out more product-related information, like 
hey, bot, tell me more about this particular option or is there a better option than this for somebody like me? You know, that's again, when you get into programming, uh, conversational AI and bots, that kind of integration and that kind of fluid, uh, you really need very powerful systems to do that well. And they're just not there. Like they're available, but they're not the most um, widely implemented systems. They're much lower um, sophisticated systems, you know, by and large implemented out there at the moment. So I think what we're seeing is uh, we're a little bit uh, in, in a, a rebalancing of contact centers are kind of back to their performance. Uh, they've got their capabilities built up. But I think that expectations of the market, again, has lifted. They're no longer where they were. So you could be doing, hitting your marks, delivering your benchmarks, per performance across the company, and the customer's expectations has just shifted again. And now you need another bar raise. Uh, that, that's my takeaway from it. Anything hitting you, Cormac, from, from those? Let's park the tech on this one for a second, Paul, and let's talk about HR challenges that are contained in this, Ryan. So rightly so, you mentioned the level of automation that we're seeing with our customers. You know, at last count, we were seeing 75.2% of all conversations across our platform being automated. And, uh, and that's fantastic. And we know from talking to our customers, particularly when it comes to inbound traffic, that a lot of the queries for some of our customers, it's up to 40% are handled by three or four questions. Typically, uh, you know, what's my balance? How much do I owe? When's my next payment date? How much am I overdue? Okay. So these are things that can be automated pretty simply. So you're taking that workflow away from your agents in the contact center. Now think about what you want your agent to do, which is deal with more complicated queries and complicated challenges that their customers have. There's, for me, there's real HR issues there because it's, it's relatively easy to train somebody how to look up a system or record and tell a customer what their balance is. It's a whole different ballgame to talk to a customer who's vulnerable, who's got problems, whether they be, you know, financial, addiction, et cetera, et cetera. And we, we see all that across our customers. There's a whole different skill set required um, to deal with those type of those type of queries that that um, that agents have to deal with and those type of issues. So I think there's there's I know we talk about automation. You can just get your team to do, um, you know, more value added uh, activities. But you have to have a whole training plan in order to uh, give uh, people the tools to do that. Um, so I see that certainly as as being a challenge for our industry in the in the years ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say actually that you're you've been like an advocate of this for a couple of years with uh, with me when I was running Product Hero Webio, that the agents are going to need as much help as yeah. the customers. And I think where we are now is in 2023 is we're seeing the evolution of the co-pilot. And just like you have ChatGPT, you have people using it across your business, you'll have agents, supervisors, managers, everyone will have their own co-pilot over the next few years. Like th that is a definite trend. Like I, I yeah. put my, I put my nail on the wall on that one. 
so the question now becomes, I think, like, how would you get data into these co-pilots? What exactly are they going to help you with? How are you going to manage those co-pilots? What exactly are they capable of? Yeah. Um, and I think that they'll be, um, as Brett Kinsella said, the co-pilot will sit next to you. They're not sitting in front of you and they're not telling you what to do. They're just raising your awareness of this conversation is going a bit like this. Maybe you'd like to suggest uh, something else. We find if you use these words with customers, they make a big difference. Um, and I think that the general conversation will, I, I think, I'll go out on a limb here and say, I think all conversations are going to end up being captured. And I think all conversations will be made available to a language model and that they will be able to help agents figure out how they can be better. And they'll figure out how to have better conversations and enable you to have better conversations. And I I think that maybe there won't be a like magic sparkly dust on everything, but you know, if somebody told you, hey, your meeting tends to go astray when you say the following things, you go, God, I didn't know that. It's the same with every conversation. You, you could have tr words that trigger people to certain next levels of escalated anxiety or, or anger. You might not be using phrases that make someone feel they're in a certain place in the conversation or moving to a next place in the conversation. Um, and that sort of conversational analytics is going to be important. Now, it's not going to, it's not ever going to replace the feeling you get from talking with a real person. Because I think that there's something fundamental about human beings speaking to other human beings that you, you, you can't replicate that. There's, there's a, a social, psychological, evolutionary contract between people that we're all like live beings on this planet. So I think that we're going to find people moving from the tasks they're doing today to co-pilot tasks to then co-pilot being helping you be a kind of higher performing professional. And I think everyone's going to feel a lot better about their jobs um, at that point too. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you. We, you know, we, you and I have spoke a lot about the, the concept of a co-pilot. And it's not just at the stage of where uh, an agent is dealing with live customers, it's much earlier in the process when they start their training um, and having that concept of a co-pilot help them through the training phase. And you always are going to need to have some form of human to human uh, contact. We know that, but it has to be the, the, the agent or the human who's having that must have the tools and be equipped to deal with the conversations that they're having. So I think that's the, the key point. That's a super point about the training. Uh, I mean, that is a common problem across the industry. Correct. Getting new people in. How do I train them up? How do I make sure they're compliant? How do I do that? And then keep them because I don't want that turnover. The other point, Paul, just to, to touch on there in terms of um, expectations that, you know, we, we say that the consumer's expectations are, are, are higher and the bar is raised. That shouldn't surprise anybody, right? That shouldn't surprise anybody because we have been out there, and I say we, the industry, has been out there telling everybody how great a customer service is going to be and all these fabulous tools that we're building and products that we're building that's going to revolutionize customer service. Um, so why wouldn't expectations rise um, if we are out there touting the benefits of, 
of AI and, and chatbots and, you know, personal assistance. Um, so that message has gone out there. And we, you know, and when a customer hears all this, they're thinking, oh, wow, this is going to be fantastic. Mm. I just have to, you know, pick up the phone and everything is going to be answered or I just text, you know, uh, help. And my, my queries are all going to be answered. And then there's such a letdown when they're spending 45 minutes in a queue um, pressing one to press two to press three. Uh, to repeat something. So I think there's an element of uh, the market, the players in the market creating the expectation and quite frankly, not delivering. I I do seem to remember a few years ago um, where companies were surprised that customers weren't happy with their online experience. And it was because the customer was using Amazon every single day. And their Amazon experience was so much better than their their experience on your website. So I suspect that customers are using new innovative services that have raised the bar, raised the expectation of what they should be getting. And when they come back to their old service provider, they go, hey, this is really old school. You know, maybe this is uh, not up there with with, uh, where it should be. Yeah, that's a great point. It it only takes a couple of... uh, innovators in your ecosystem um, or even an adjacent ecosystem to you, the customers experienced it. Now that's their expectation. Okay, Cormac, uh, great to have uh, those, those uh, interactions and feedback on uh, the, the news of the week. Just like to let everyone know that there will be a new interview from Credit Shift coming into the podcast stream soon. Really looking forward to hearing your responses to that. I'd like to thank, again, my co-host today, Cormac O'Neill, CEO of Webio, for joining us. If you do get a chance, uh, do check out Webio, webio webio.com. We have a lot of new news and updates hitting the site and a lot of news coming in the next few weeks about things happening at Webio. And also, please don't forget to subscribe to The Credit Shift on this podcast or wherever you are experiencing this conversation. Until next time. Thank you very much.